Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. Another setback for the Calgary Flames at the hands of the Ottawa Senators, which gives us a lot to go through here on Hockey Central at noon. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I'm Peter Klein. He's Logan Gordon. A jam-packed Hockey Central at noon today. We got Duha, Corey Saric, and our Flames insider, Peter Labardius. Still trying to work in some of your texts at 960-960. Without any further ado, let's chat with Lou. Flames insider, Peter Labardius. Brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations. Innovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Good afternoon, Mr. Labardius. How are you today, sir? I am fantastic. How are you? Glad to hear it. I'm doing well. Um, yeah, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day in Calgary, so no yeah. complaints. Uh, <laughs> let's let's focus on that. Uh, again, another frustrating loss for the the Flames last night, and a lot of frustration amongst the fan base. Uh, and as you guys heard last night, frustration boiling over with, with some of the players as well. As you uh, got to chat with a, a fairly open and honest Milan Lucic yesterday evening, we did, um, and we very much appreciate in what has been some very trying times. Um, players coming on the air to handle some really difficult situations to the best of their ability. Um, I want you to listen to some of this because here's an individual who has been there, done that. He's gone through a lot of personal challenges in his life, both on the ice, off the ice. And yes, do, and have I always felt the connection to Milan Lucic? I have. Um, because when I judge and assess hockey and sports, maybe to a detriment, I like to focus my attention on people who can get the job done when it's the most difficult. And those are the people in many ways in my life, forget about sports, that I look up to the most. So you don't hear this very often in hard situations because just like we do, Peter, every day on the air, um, you put yourself in a vulnerable position. Milan put himself in a vulnerable position with teammates, with staff, with everyone. But to get to the heart of the matter, I always think that we can't be afraid to dig in on the real and hard stuff. And following a disappointing loss, here is Milan Lucic. And it seems like all season long, every time we get into these situations where you know, we, we dig ourselves back in and we cut the leading half, we manage to shoot ourselves in the foot again by not managing the puck. You know, not managing the clock, not managing the puck, and you know, you hear a lot of outside noise talk about coaching and all this type of style of play and all this bullshit, but, you know, that has nothing to do with the coaches. That has everything to do with the guys that are playing and the guys on the ice. You know, they're the ones that have to manage the puck. Even, you know, myself, you know, on the first goal, instead of trying to make the play to Benny, I got to get that in. And, you know, you know that's that's one of the examples. And, you know, it's, it's again, I just, like I said, it's, it's we, we, we find a way shoot ourselves in the foot time and time again, and uh, that's on us. 
pretty honest, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I was I was listening live and uh, with uh, with my wife and, and just kind of went, "Whoa!" was not was not expecting that. Very real, very emotional, very invested. That's that's the guy, and I don't pretend to know him well. I really don't. Been around him, you know. Have we have we had conversations over the years? Several, lots. But is this someone that I got to know when he was seventeen or eighteen years old? Yes. Uh, spent a lot of time around him. Called two Memorial Cups that he played in. Um, in 2007, uh, traveled to Russia to broadcast the Canada-Russia Super Series, an eight-game series, where Milan was the captain of that Canadian team. And if you want to have some fun, go ahead and look that team up and take a peek at who was on that team in Brent Sutter made Milan Lucic the captain. So I've known him for a long time, and he is an emotional guy. He's a caring guy. He in, And is he afraid to have fun? No. No. But he's, he's an all-in guy, and he's a passionate guy. And he demands a lot of himself. And he demands a lot of others. And he just told you that's not good enough. Now, again, in the fan base, I get it. I completely get it. Are people mad? They're mad. Peter, you know what I think people are mad about? Hmm. I think they're I think they're mad because Right now, we're kind of mad, period. And you know how I know we're mad? Because how quickly, at times, and we all want to see the best. We do. We really do. But we have to invest. And, and again, you know, here it is for me. So forget about philosophy today. Let's cut to the chase. So this hockey team goes into Toronto. And I think even you and I may have assessed those games different. And that's fine. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Um, What I saw against the best team in the Canadian division was a team that battled its tail off, had a great detailed approach, Yes, anybody who plays the Toronto Maple Leafs is probably going to have a tough time measuring up in regards to talent level, high-end elite ability. But for two games, I saw the Calgary Flames dig in, battle, defend the front of their net, kill off 11 straight Toronto Maple Leaf power plays, Yes, fine. If you want to say that that was all about the goalie, go ahead. That's fine. You can feel that way. You may feel that way, Peter. That's fine. 
And did David Riddick play two splendid games? Yes, he did. But to play the way you had to play against the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think the Flames did exactly what they had to do to give themselves the best chance. Have they done that against the Ottawa Senators? Well, they did it one game. They did it one game. They did it on Saturday afternoon. Their best people were their best people. They dictated. They got to their game. They made life pretty miserable on Ottawa. And before you could blow your nose, they put Ottawa in a very difficult spot. Won the hockey game, won it pretty convincingly. Now, two days later, you play a pretty good first period. Things are okay. Things are fine. But answer me this. Were you outskilled last night in the second period when the game turned? Or were your details and your commitment to doing it right by your best people, was that at a high enough level? You tell me. Well, they, I, I certainly don't think they were outskilled. I, I think it was the, those details. A pass just a little bit off and then a back check that isn't all the way there. A, a misplay from a goaltender who otherwise I thought was fantastic last night. Um, so, yes, no, I, I think it was absolutely the details. And it, it feels like we, we've talked about that a few times with this team. So, again, everybody wants a pound of flesh. You know what? Right about now, in the heat of the heat... I might want a pound of flesh. But again, how do we assess? And I just leave this for all our listeners today. Are we not having a lot of the same conversations around here that we've had for years? I think we are. Is it hard right now? Yes. In fact, in listening to Dave Tippett today, I listened to a great podcast recently with Paul Maurice. We can all, we can all understand that the world is different. Hockey is different. The division is different. Um, what the players have to go through is different. What the coaches have to go through is different. Is the microscope different? Yes. But you know what I heard Dave Tippett talk this morning and this comes after his team and his two best players have been shut out by I think the team that has set the standard in the Scotia North Division the Toronto Maple Leafs and he's loving it he's embracing it it is challenging him, even though he can't see his wife. He can't see his grandkids as much as he'd like to. Because it's challenging him to be better. And he's embracing it. Who's embracing this right now? Who's embracing it? I don't see enough embracing. Mm-hmm. And again, guess what? I can use myself in terms of what you want and what you're committed. I've had a struggle for 55 years with my waistline. 
it's basically basically a year in, a year out. I can be the weight gain and weight loss champion of planet Earth. I do really well. But you know why I don't get to a better result? Because I'm not committed enough to the work to fix it. Yeah, and that is, uh, again, I, I think the, the the main takeaway I, I have from there is what you said, and it's something we've talked about for a bit, is that the, these conversations that we are having have gone on for a, a number of years now, and that's where uh, I do think a lot of the frustration comes. Uh, quickly, before we get to more, I did look up that team that you were talking about, the um, <laughs> the, the team that Lucic was on. Were there some pretty good, good players on that team? Yeah, there was a couple. Um Holy cow. Like, yeah, you got uh, John Tavares, who I, I think it worked out for him. Sam Gagne, not bad. Kyle yeah. Turris, at the time, was very good. Uh, Claude Giroux, Brad Marchand. Uh, on the blue line, you had Carl Alsner, also a fine fellow named Drew Doughty. Uh, Milan Lucic on that squad as well, between the pipes. Uh, Bernier Irving and, and Steve Mason. So did that, like, that team was insane. Yes, it was. And no one really knew about it because... It happened in the summertime. It was not the World Junior Championship. And that team against Bobrovsky, Varlamov, Artem Anisimov, Dodonov, um, Vyacheslav, Voyanov. Now, was it the most talented Russian team? No, not necessarily. But that series... So Canada went to Russia, and Brad Pascal, Brad, you want to have a good segment? Have Brad Pascal on with myself, and you want to talk about a couple of great segments about stories of being in Russia and the planes that we flew on, um, you know, planes flying overhead of the hotel in Omsk at 2.30 in the morning before a game. Well, that band of... Brent Sutter, Milan Lucic, and all those great names. Well, they went to Ufa and Omsk, and they won all four games there, and then came back home and won every game in the series except a 3-3 tie in front of a sold-out crowd in Red Deer in in Brent's place. Um, It was an incredible experience, incredible players, and I got to know, listen, when when you're – and the coaching staff was okay, too. Um, guy by the name of Sutter was the head coach. One of the assistants was a guy by the name of Pete DeBoer. Benny Grew. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was a pretty awesome experience. So, yes, learned a lot about those people. They're not kids anymore. When you're my age, you feel that way. But Milan Lucic was uh, the captain of that particular group. Milan never got to play in a World Junior because right after that event, Peter, you know where he ended up, don't you? Uh, with the Boston Bruins? He ended up with the Boston Bruins. Yes, he did. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, and, and that, yeah, well, I think you that... Know what? At, at, at some point, we'll... I don't know, maybe, you know, when the season's over or whatever, and you guys are looking to 
fill some time and you know I, I i love the opportunity to go back and share those experiences and getting to know all those young people who are now grown up with children and they've gone through lots of stuff so yeah that was quite a team that 2007 yeah. super series group yeah certainly uh certainly seems like it and yes uh, i think that uh lucic going to the boston bruins i think it worked out pretty well for him um after that um Focusing back on the Calgary Flames here now, um, mm -hmm. what is next? Because it, there is a lot of frustration, and this already three games into this stretch here against Ottawa, um, it already is not going the way a lot of people wanted it to. But you do like the season didn't end last night. There is still moving forward. How do the Flames now move forward from this? Well, I don't know how many more ways I can say it. And again, the temperature, Peter, I've been here a long time, as you know. I've never seen it like this. I haven't. Never. Never. Even in the worst of times. And I, and I think it does. I think it has a lot to do with expectations that this team has set for itself. I think when people look at this team from the outside, and I think in part even from the inside, and they're both fair, you know, it's hard for people not to think about 2018, 2019, and 50 wins. It's hard for people not to think about being 11 seconds away from going up 3-1 on the Dallas Stars, the team that ended up in the Stanley Cup final. But you didn't do it. And in the playoffs, both against Colorado... And against Dallas, who do you, who would you say, Peter? Do you think their best player was? Uh, probably the the goaltender. So now, and again, let's also remember we talk about what's next. Well, one of these days you're going to get two, you know, pretty consistent people back in your goalie, Jacob Markstrom. So you went out and you got an elite level goalie. There's no doubt about that. And outside of maybe one game, he's been brilliant. So kind of where should we really be looking? So everyone was crying out for a goalie and an elite goalie. Well, got an elite goalie, took steps in the bubble because you became harder to play against and found yourself 11 seconds away. On paper, you should be better. I don't think right now you're better. However, however, in a new season, in difficult times, difficult everywhere, I look, I think, I think everybody wants everybody to, to blow it up. I don't think it needs to be blown up. I don't. In fact, I believe you learn the most about your teams, about your people, in their ability to ride it out. There's no quick fix here. Come on. There's no quick fix here. There isn't. But let's not throw you-know-what out with the bathwater either. People are very fair to be upset. It's very fair. And everybody is mad based on one thing, I think. You tell me. And I know we've got 
you know, we've got some insiders coming next to share their experience and their perspective. But a team that got themselves out of some of the most trying times that I've seen ever in a season last year played better in the bubble. They're not playing very well. And what's what's maddening to people is that they show you what they show you Saturday and then come right back the next night and you'd swear it's a different group. Isn't that what makes it hard? If, if yes. Peter, in a sense, it would be, it would be easier if you just got yourself, and it happens to every team basically. You get yourself in a six or seven game skid where you can't find it, and then you figure it, and then you get to a better place. The hard part with this group is they get to a better place quickly, but it's hard to sustain it. Yep. Yeah, and that, that's been the thing. And you, you don't get the – when they do find it, it's only for a couple of games. Like, it, it really is a, a bit of a roller coaster that we are riding with this team. And uh, a lot of people frustrated by that. We'll see if the Flames can kind of course correct as they do return home now um, for a, a pretty good stretch over the next little while. Obviously, some road games mixed in there, but quite a bit at the Dome for the Flames. Lou, always a pleasure, sir. We will chat again tomorrow. Thanks so much. Flames Insider, Peter Lubardius, brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. The Gemini Group, now offering Air Miles Reward Miles. Visit GeminiGroup.ca. Lou's Mailbag back every Friday here on Sportsnet 960. The fans send in your questions, sportsnet.ca slash 960. Tune in Fridays at noon to see if yours was answered. If it was, you are also walking away with a $100 gift card to Ruth's Chris. Winners will be selected weekly until the end of the regular season. Lou's Mailbag brought to you by Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Relax and enjoy while Ruth's Chris makes the experience safe and comfortable for everyone. Book your table today. Go Flames, go. What did Corey Sarich see from another disappointing night for the Calgary Flames? We will get the former Flames defenseman's perspective on last night coming up next. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. We continue to react to another loss from the Calgary Flames as they fall to the Ottawa Senators last night. When the dust settles, it's a 5-1 defeat at the hands of Ottawa. Here to help us break this game down is former Flames defenseman Corey Sarich. Corey, how are you today, sir? Uh, Not too bad. It's uh, been a bit of a hairy one today, but you get those every now and then. Yeah, well, um, we don't have the most uplifting of topics to, to cheer you up with the, the Flames today. Um, uh, another frustrating loss against the Ottawa Senators. Um, it, it's, I, I almost don't know where to start because we, we've been having the, these same conversations for the last little bit because it's kind of the same things again. What we see last night, it's turnovers. It's the, the lack of the details. It's the lack of execution. Those things keep popping up for the Flames. Yeah, it was kind of all the same things that we've been talking about again. Um, it wasn't as dismal as of a performance as the one on, you know, two games ago against Ottawa. Uh, the first one where they got shellacked in Ottawa. This this had, I guess, a few more positives that you could take from it than that game. But no, over overall, it just was a complete letdown again in the in the second period. I, I didn't think the first period was incredibly terrible uh, east 
we are only a handful of games into the season. We're into the 20s. So it feels weird to think about the NHL trade deadline, but it's creeping up. And Eric DeHatchuk has a good preview piece up on The Athletic right now. We will talk about that with our NHL insider coming up next. Hockey Central at noon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. The Calgary Flames are only 23 games into the regular season, and in most years, that wouldn't necessarily be the time you start thinking about the trade deadline, but as we all know, this isn't like most years. Welcome back to Hockey Central Noon, everyone. I'm Peter Klein. Very pleased to be joined by Eric DeHatchuk, our NHL insider. Mr. DeHatchuk, how are you today, sir? Very good, very good. So have you guys been talking about trade deadline? That's all we're talking about at The Athletic right now, I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We haven't really dove too far into the trade deadline, although uh, we're probably going to start as uh, this team might have an interesting time around that. Um, But it it is kind of creeping up on us, and it does kind of feel like it's going to be a much different trade deadline than we're used to, given how difficult it is to trade across borders and everything like that. Um, I guess for you, how different do you anticipate this trade deadline being? Yeah, significantly. And, uh, and, and you're, you're, of course, you're right. The you know the cross border thing, and we can talk about that in a minute. But one of the, the the main things that's going to affect this year's trade deadline is how difficult it will be for the league to sort itself into buyers and sellers, right? Because in a normal year, you drop the puck in early October, and the trade deadline's the end of February, beginning of March, and you usually play you know well over 900 collective games in the NHL by then. So teams generally have a pretty good idea of, of what they are, right? You, you know, you've formed your identity. Uh, you, know, you, you've, you know, if you feel that you've got a, a chance, you know, you're, you're kind of gearing up at the trade deadline. And if you feel that, you know, no, this isn't our year or whatever, you know, you start to make players available, either rentals or, or, or players off of your roster to try and look ahead to, to next year. Well, you know, obviously when we get to the trade deadline this year, far fewer games will have been played. All the games are being played within the division, so the capacity to make up ground is, is pretty great. I mean, just look at the middle of, of the, the north right now. I mean, the Flames are under 500. Normally, that would not be a very positive sign, but, but you know, Montreal is within reach, and you've got a bunch of games coming up against Montreal. So if you're trying to make a decision specifically related to the Flames, although there's dozens of teams in, in the same boat, can you really raise like a premature white flag of surrender knowing that you know you know teams can 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 you know completely change in a short period of time the best example i was talking to a few general managers for this story that you alluded to um and 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 the point that one of them made which was really good he said you know like after two weeks you know people were awarding montreal the stanley cup and after four weeks they were firing their coach that's how quickly things can change and so, so i think that will be a big factor this year that there just won't be that many teams that have completely bottomed out and are defined sellers i mean i mean ottawa's going to be that again detroit's going to be that again but boy there's, there's an awful lot of teams that are maybe playing a little bit better than they thought and you know like if you're los angeles i mean Los Angeles, normally a team, you know, that has, is trading away a defenseman. You know, Derek Forbert came here one year. Oscar Fattenberg came here one year. Jake Muzzin went to Toronto. Alec Martinez went. You know, you could always, you know, turn to Los Angeles and say, what do you got? Well, you know, we need something. Well, <laughs> they're hanging in there, right? So they might not be as anxious to sell. So I, I just think that a very limited number of teams will be selling. And I think that that will be one of the sort of primary sort of undercurrents of this, this trade deadline that will make it different than others. 
And I think another interesting wrinkle is the the wide variety and the number of games played. Like you, you look in the central division and if you sort by points, then the Dallas Stars should be selling everything that isn't nailed down. And then you sort by points percentage and they're fifth. Um, yeah. And so I think like that also kind of throws a bit of a wrench into people's plans. Sure. Yeah. And the one thing I will say is that even in a pandemic um, year, you know, if you talk to the general managers, if you talk to the general managers, you know, like that the fan, fan bases are constantly stressing, you know, sell everything, burn it down. You know, I'm prepared to accept three years of, of a rebuild because I'm just tired of watching this particular group. And, and I get that, you know, that's, you know, probably there's, there's a half, at least a half a dozen teams in the NHL right now that are complete hot messes, and and the pressure on on the people running those teams is just unbearably intense. I mean, you know, leading with Buffalo, but but having said that, the people that run those teams, they don't do that, you know, because if you, you know, it's it's all well and good to say that it's all well and good to you know to put pieces on the market, but boy, it can be a long time coming back if you if you just completely burn it to, right to the ground. So I just. Uh, I think there's a disconnect between sort of the public perception of things and, and, and the people that, that run teams. And, and they tend to err on the side of being really conservative. And, and what I keep hearing from GMs is, like, how can you plot a long-term course for your franchise based on 20-plus games of a pandemic-shortened season where, you know, we're – we're doing tests every, you know, day and night. Um, you know, families are quarantining. They're apart. Uh, you know, the lineup is constantly being disrupted because you know this guy is in in the protocol, and then somebody else is in the protocol. It's hard to make long-term decisions based on on all of the peculiarities that we're seeing this year. And 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 most GMs, again, that I talk to, say they'd rather do nothing and make a mistake that comes back and haunts them down the road. And so, you know, for, for a lot of the reasons that we have talked about and will talk about, it, it feels like it's going to be a, a far more muted trade deadline this year than, than most. Mm-hmm. And another uh, issue I think that GMs have to deal with, and there's a salary cap every year, but this one didn't move, and it's probably not going to move. And you just have, like, from a a Flames perspective, I'm sure they would love to go out and and add another right winger to play with Goudreau and Monaghan, but that right winger has to cost about a million dollars, and there aren't a whole lot of them that are going to make an impact. I think that salary cap is really really going to cause some problems for teams. Sure. Well, you know, two things that I'm hearing. One is that a lot of deals that are being talked about right now are dollar in for dollar out. And so, you know, you may not be able to necessarily find a complete match. But if if I'm taking your $2 million player and you're taking my $1 million player, you are going to, you know, eat some salary in order to get those numbers, uh, you know, to to closer to even. Um, I think that that's probably the, you know, the the biggest factor there that – that and the fact that, well, I mean, if you, if you just go to, you know, I, I, I'm probably on capfriendly.com pretty much every day, but if you, I was there an hour or so ago, and 17 teams are already on long-term injury reserve, and which allows you to go over the cap. And, uh, and I think Tampa was at like 98 million or something like that tied up in payroll. I mean, it's ridiculous how how many teams have players on long-term injury reserve how you know like i think st louis has seven and how far over the cap they are so you know so navigating through that between now and, and april the 12th is you know the you know, really the most valuable person in, in a lot of organizations is going to be their capologist to try and and figure yeah. that out but i will say this the, the one sort of mitigating factor against that is that <clears throat> there are an awful lot of players 
this year that signed entry like the minimum level contract. So, you know, remember all those players that were sort of lingering on the unemployment line for most of the, the summer and couldn't get jobs and, and eventually ended up signing for like 700,000. The Flames have a, have a bunch of them. Most teams do. Most teams have a, 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 a lot of players that are, are quite inexpensive. And so if you're looking for a depth piece, not a, not a difference maker, but a depth piece, there are lots of those available. Uh, that are on the fringes of the roster, that are on the taxi squads. You know, maybe you find a match between, you know, like Dominic Simone's not working out in Calgary. You know, does Pittsburgh want a depth guy that, has, you know, that they're familiar with? You know, I mean, what does it cost you? You know, a pro-rated 700000 is practically free, and practically free is what you probably need in this day and age, right? Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Um, and one more issue, we, we kind of touched on it before, but the, the border is still probably going to be an issue by the time that the trade deadline rolls along. How do you think that affects the planning for um, teams specifically here in Canada who would have to deal with a 14-day quarantine? If you're trading for an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year, you might only be getting them for a couple of uh, couple of games. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. You know, and, and that's one of the things. So so normally you don't want to trade in your division you know, just because you don't want some guy coming back and, and haunting you. And, and that's doubly difficult this year because, you know, again, you, you see all these teams eight and, and nine times. And so, um, but obviously if you can, like, let's say, you know, Ottawa decides to be a seller, you know, I, I made the point in, in the piece that we, that Craig, Craig Cousins and I posted that, you know, it could be the year of the Ryan Dezingle sweepstakes. Why? Well, you know, here's a guy that is, uh, was acquired by Ottawa uh, from Carolina in, in the trade for, for Paquette and, and Galchaniak, who's you know, a non-roster player right now, clearing quarantine, but will be in the lineup soon um, and, and is on an expiring contract. right? So he was traded at the trade deadline two years ago, uh, Ottawa to, to Columbus. He could easily be on the move again. And the, the value of so if, if what you want is a guy that can score some goals, because he did score 26 two years ago, a little bit suspect defensively, but you don't have to wait the two weeks to get him. So I, I do think that there will be players on, on teams like Ottawa uh, that, that could be attractive to, you know, to Edmonton, to Calgary, to any team that, that feels that it needs you know, one more guy that they, they can slide in, at least in, in the top nine that can score some goals. So that's, that, that's part of the equation. And, but the other thing is, no, you're 100% right. I mean, Dubois is a classic case. You know, Columbus got Roslovic and Line. Roslovic played right away because he was, he was already in Columbus. You know, Lina, they sent a private jet for him. He only had to quarantine for a few days. He was in the lineup pretty quickly. And then Dubois had to wait two weeks. And then, you know, he's out of shape. So now he has to, you know, practice a little bit. And then he gets hurt right away and misses some more games. So from the time that they made the trade until that Sunday night game where he had the three points, it was almost a month. And, and you just cannot wait a month, especially if it's, as you say, for a, for a rental because – that's not enough time to integrate a player in the, in the lineup. And to me, that's always been one of those uh, sort of untold stories about trade deadlines. You know, we make all of the fuss about this guy going here and that guy going there. And then when, at the end of the year, when, you, when the smoke clears, you're like, well, what kind of an impact did he make? And the answer is not very much because he didn't have time to get fully integrated into the system of, of, of the new team. And so, like, really good players – you know, sometimes have a, have a hard time, you know, adjusting to new line mates, adjusting to a new city, adjusting to, to everything. And it's hard to do on the fly. And it's really hard to do sort of in the, in the midst of a, of a global pandemic when you know, everybody's just on edge all the time anyway. 
So we, we've now discussed why players may not be moved. Let's look at some who might. Um, well, the, the biggest name. So, uh, but, no, that, that, that's a really good point, right? Because what ends up happening, so I, I think that there will be selective moves because, um, you know, teams – you know, are, are still trying to win the Stanley Cup. And so, you know, we, we don't focus so much on the 24 American teams, but of course they don't have to worry about cross-border, uh, you know, the, the quarantines. And, uh, you know, the example that we used in our story was, okay, Matthias Ekholm, he was number one on our trade board. Why? Well, he's, 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 a, he's a really steady number three defenseman who's earning 3.8 and change this year and, and next. Um, just came back from an injury, scored a couple of goals on, on Saturday. Any team, I mean, any team in the National Hockey League could use a Matthias Ekholm. I don't see very many places where he couldn't be a top four. He, I, you know, he's good enough that, you know, even if you think you have a top four, somebody gets bumped out of the top four because of, of this guy. So it's a, it's an attractive contract. You have him for this year and next. So if you're a contender, like Boston, say, you know, you don't, you know, you're not. It's not a pure rental. You've got to, you know, I mean, you got to figure out a way of protecting him in the expansion draft. But you have him for this year and next. And if you think that's your window, two years. You know, like, why aren't you lining up uh, and, and bidding for him? And I think that it, the price is going to be very high. I, I do think that home gets moving unless there's, like, unless Nashville miraculously, you know, turns itself around. And it's you know, starting to show a little bit of the signs of life right now. Uh, but I think it starts with a first-round pick um, and, and probably one of your better prospects. So, again, if we're using Boston as an example, you know, we're talking about a Jack Studnicker or somebody that projects as, as a – as a guy who can be a, like a player for a long time in, in the National Hockey League. So I think that the handful of very good players that will be made available, uh, teams will have to pay a significant price to get them. And then you just have to weigh the, it, it's the old story of, that you get at every trade deadline. Is it worth it you know, for where we're at in our window to sacrifice something for the future to be that much better today? And I would say in the case of a guy like Ekholm, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch of teams that are lining up at the offices of the Nashville general manager, David Poyle, saying, you know, pick me, pick me, pick me, because because he is a guy that can be a difference maker. The the biggest uh, amount of star power on this list comes at, at number two with Jack Eichel from the, the Buffalo Sabres. I don't know why everything never works in Buffalo, but th this one certainly is not working with the, the Buffalo Sabres. How, how likely do you think it is that Jack Eichel finds a, a new home before the deadline? Yeah, and, and, that, and, and just the way you frame that. See, to me, I mean, anything can happen, I guess. I, I just think Eichel is more of a of a summer move. The, re the reason that people are are, are imagining that, that you know potentially you could make a deal for Eichel is because of the precedent of of the Dubois for Lina trade. Like you know those of us who prattle on all the time about how impossible it is to get deals done. Well, once in a while, we'll, you know something happens like like Lina for uh, for Dubois and and you know the, the naysayers say, see, it can be done. And and so yes, I agree, it can be done when there are. Two Two teams that have comparable um, quality, you know, quality players, uh, you know, that it, you trade that you trade for each other. So you cast around and you look for a home for Jack Eichel. And you know, your first thought, of course, is New York. And there was a lot of talk. There was some fire in addition to the smoke last summer when when that Eichel for New York to New York thing first bubbled up. And then, of course, you know they. They pulled him back and, and said, no, under no circumstances are we trading him. He's a big part of our future, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it, again, that's probably the biggest hot mess in the NHL right now. Uh, someone like Eichel is clearly getting frustrated. He makes a lot of money, 
but he's also potentially an an elite player, an elite player, not you know not a very very good player, but somebody that could be spectacular in the right circumstances. So I think New York will make another push in the summer. I also think that New York has the sort of assets. You know, they have Alexei Lafreniere there. They have Capocacco, you know, a first overall and a second overall. If you're Buffalo, and especially if you're going down yet another rebuilding path, it, it has to start with players like that. Uh, I look at Los Angeles. You know, they have they have uh, Quinton Byfield coming. They've got Alex Turcott coming. They've got Kupari. Those are all first-round picks from years gone by. They have, they have a lot of youth in their organization. And, you know, and Eichel is you know, a, a guy that immediately could come in and, and, and be an important player for them. You know, is there a possible fit there? I, I just don't see it happening in the season. But in the summer, once, once the, you know, once everything settles down, I, I, I do think that there will be an awful lot of discussion. And ultimately, it will come down to, you know, will you, if you're the Buffalo owners, continue down this same path with Kevin Adams as the general manager and Ralph Kruger as the coach, or are you steering a different path? And if you are, almost always when, when you make that kind of an organizational change, all the assets get, fro- get frozen. You, you don't want to, the new people coming in want to assess what they've got before they, they start to make you know, uh, precipitous moves. And so I think that that's a big factor in, in the whole Buffalo equation. You have to really see who's running the team uh, you know, two months from now, four months from now, six months from now, before you, you figure out if there's going to be you know, any kind of an Eichel deal in the future. Last one for you, um, just focusing on the, the Calgary Flames, a lot of people believing that the, the sky is falling. Uh, what do you think the Flames do, or what direction do you think the Flames go in between now and the trade deadline? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I would say that just because they are in that sort of mushy middle that uh, that everybody talks about, where you don't, you know, like two good weeks here could, could cure everything that you know that you've had to listen to you know from callers and so on and, and people on your text line or alternatively if if it continues to be one uninspired effort after another then you know then you reach a point where either you, you're going to sacrifice the season or, or you make some kind of significant change whether that be a coaching change or or some kind of a player personnel change but um but right now, I, I think I think they're in a holding pattern, just because they don't really know. That it's, you know, obviously they they really don't like what they're seeing right now, and so you know this next stretch of games coming up is critical, and especially with you know Montreal sort of on the horizon. You know, like it, we're far enough along in the season to see a little bit of separation, and and you have you, I mean, if you're trying to make the playoffs, you have to be in the top four, and to be in the top four right now, you have to reel somebody in. So either Edmonton or Winnipeg falls off because Toronto's long gone, uh, or the team you reel in is Montreal, and you'll get a, a clearer idea of, of where you're at, um, you know, when those those games against Montreal come up later in, in the month. And then, you know, that's still enough time to, to plot, um, you know, like a, are you a seller or are you a buyer at, at the trade deadline? So I think they're hoping for the best and, and going to try and maintain the status quo for as long as they can. And the only thing that would cause you to veer off of that if, as I say, you know, just one more inspired effort after another, because then you get to the point where it looks as if, you know, the, the, the organization is waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, and when it becomes, when you get to that point, it becomes almost self-fulfilling. You know, people just stop playing and, and, and they're waiting for a change and then you have to make a change. It's really, it's really a difficult situation to be in. I don't think they're at that point yet, though. 
Eric, I recommend the piece right now. It's up on The Athletic chatting about the NHL trade deadline, always the best time of year for hockey fans. Uh, and I'm sure the trade conversations won't go away between now and the deadline. Thank you for this today, and we'll chat next week. Thank you. There is Eric DeHatchuk on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza past the steaks and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive in the Northeast. That's going to do it for a very busy edition of Hockey Central at noon. Uh, didn't have time for your texts. Gonna want a lot of them in the one o'clock hour of the big show as we have been talking quite a bit about where this Calgary Flames team is at and where they are headed. I want to hear from you guys. Where are you at on the Calgary Flames right now? Has the sky fallen? Are we blowing everything up? Are we still looking at this optimistically? And is everyone just overreacting? I, I genuinely want to hear from the fan base as we talk Flames next on The Big Show on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.